0: Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. The next sequel that we're going to be covering is The Purge Anarchy. I've never seen any of these movies until I watched this one. And I really need to go back and watch all of them because, man, it was a lot of fun. Lots of fun. And, uh, I'm so happy to be back. My son is doing great. Jack is out of the NICU home and, uh, He's doing great. So I'm so happy to be back. I'm so happy to get back on the sequel watching adventure with my partner Jamie, and I'm so happy about this week's interview with actor and pretty awesome bad guy, even though he's a really nice guy, Jasper Cole. Jasper talked about you know his journey to Hollywood. It, not that it's different than other people's, but. His journey to find his niche as being, you know, a bad guy is pretty interesting. Along the way, one of the staple movies that I love, as you know, if you're a listener of us or if you're new, I'm going to tell you now, Jason's Takes Manhattan. Jasper worked on that movie. His scene got cut. But I forgot to send it to him. I'm pretty sure his death that he talked about because he played a trainer. He didn't really talk about the death too much. But there is, if you watch the deleted scenes, there is a death of a student that you don't really see. Just like a lot of the students that are on the ship that disappear. Uh, there's one student's death that you see is like laying on the stairwell think something's in his eyes or something. I need to watch it again, I guess because I don't even remember. And that's fine because I love all things Jason takes Manhattan. But Jasper, man, I love talking to him because he had so many different things that he did. Obviously as an actor, you know, he's got, we had some great stories about auditions, ones that he had, you know, auditioning to be a bad guy and also auditions for other actors that he knew, which I love hearing those stories. And the one thing that was really cool was he was in some sketches that really didn't make it air at times, but working on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno, somebody he knew was working there, and they give him a call, be like, "Hey, you want to do this sketch?" and he get paid and be able to you know hang out and and walk around there, and just the nostalgia of the Tonight Show and him having the opportunity to. You know be there and he talked about how Jay liked to keep it you know as close to what it was um as he could and then uh we t- so many other stories. I'm so excited to get back. I don't even know what to say. it's just been so long, and this is something that's so important to me I know you're if you're a listener, maybe you're saying that's silly a podcast's important, I think it's just a sense of uh a community the people I reach out, we talk sequels. And the people interviewing, and Jasper's uh, just like everyone else. I talked to Jasper, man, it was way back in like January, February now, and I wanted to put this interview out so much earlier, but we had somebody that was lined up to do the review because they recommended the movie, and we just could never come to terms on a date and a time. But uh, we got to get it out there because Jasper's interview is great. It's the perfect way to start off the fall. Anarchy. The world was in anarchy a few months ago when it came to get the gasoline and how crazy things were, things are always going to be crazy, but less crazy now that we're putting this out. And Frank Grillo, he kicks ass, man. You're going to enjoy this movie, and you're going to love uh, the interview with Jasper. So many fun tidbits. We talked D. Wallace, also him getting injured on set. And I noticed it when I watched the movie that he was in, this movie Hansel and Gretel. Really kind of cool story about that what he had to do afterwards uh to to continue the filming but yeah if you're new here subscribe like rate share follow us on all social media at sequels only if you've been here for a while you know what's coming up i'm gonna shut my yapper and here is actor and like i said before one of the nicest bad guys ever jasper cole so awesome, man. I love talking to people about how they got into this crazy business because the success rate is so low and you really have to love what you're doing. And of course, you've been doing it a long time, so you love it. But I love talking about like the beginnings. So what part of Georgia did you grow up in? I grew up in Athens, Georgia, which
1: is uh, oh, nice. G- Georgia Bulldogs, University of Georgia. Yeah. Just won the national championship. Awesome. So- um, yeah, I grew up in a college town, uh, which is kind of cool because it, you know, brought in all kinds of different people from all over the world. And um, and then I moved to Atlanta right after high school, literally, uh, and was there for two years or three years. And then I moved to L.A. So I, oh, wow. Uh, yeah,
0: I, so to LA.
1: I came to L.A. for a pilot and went back and forth and anyway, I finally,
0: I was 23 when I moved here. Yeah. Wow. So what was the, what, what, like, do you remember what age you were? Was it something you watched on TV or did you go to a play and you're like, I want to do that? That's so funny. Yeah. Well, I grew up, I had
1: three brothers. I was the youngest. We played all the sports. It wasn't really cool to be like in theater growing up. So I, I, you know, was the peer pressure, but I would sneak into like the auditorium when this high school was putting on the productions and I kind of really wanted to act, but I didn't do it. So I grew up on 70s, 80s television, pop culture. I just always loved television. So I waited till after high school to sort of, I always said I was a closeted thespian. (laughs) (laughs) So I flung
0: the door open.
1: And went that's after great. It. Yeah.
0: No, I'm telling you like Brian Thompson, if you know who he is, it mm-hmm. like Cobra. Yeah. His thing. Yeah. You know, big dude. He was gonna, he, I, I think he ended up playing football in college. His buddy sort of said, Hey, I'm trying out for this play. He's like, I don't want to do that. And then he saw the girls that he like wanted to be around. I've heard. Of so that then he does this that. thing on a whim and then boom, look at, you
1: look know, at it's career. crazy how it happens.
0: You know? Yeah.
1: I tell young actors cause now I'm, I'm like, The old guy, you know, on sets. And I always tell them, um, you can't predict what's going to happen, you know, in this crazy. Well, that's true of life in general. But this business, you just have to stay in the game. Sometimes it's hard and sometimes it makes sense to maybe leave and go have a better life. Yeah. But if you can just stay in there, they will eventually get to you.
0: No, it's true. You
1: know, eventually they're like, oh, my God, Jasper's still here. Can someone give him a part, please?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you ever like Stephen Colbert, who look at him now, but he always said like when it came to like being in Second City, you put in your time and then you got your shot. And then it didn't mean you're going to be famous, but at least you got that shot. But you have to be there. in order to have that chance and you have to stick in with it. And it's pretty cool looking at your IMDb, which we'll go through like, so we don't talk about every single one, but like just the different parts and different shows you guest start on and movies you're in. And like recently, I think it's pretty cool that you're like on a, a big series with like Ernie Hudson. That is like, yeah, that's cool.
1: Actually we, it's not officially announced, but I can tell you, we just got picked up for season four and, and actually, it's it's one of the rare times I'm still alive, my character, because I never make it. I always get killed. Yeah. So we're going back. Um, well, they actually started today shooting. I don't go back wow, till cool. next week. So, yeah, yeah, I get to play more, be in more scenes with Ernie and the guys. And um, it's so funny because I play this biker, the leader of a biker gang. I can't ride a motorcycle, you know, all this stuff that, that Jasper cannot do. I get yeah. to pretend to do that's great TV and film. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's the Fonz. Henry Winkler never rode a motorcycle.
1: Exactly.
0: And was kind of like a nerdy kind of guy,
1: you know, in real life. Yeah. And yeah. He, he kind of, that's what like people who know me personally, they're always laughing like that. I, that I'm such a bad ass in these characters. Cause I'm not in real life, you know, I'm like, you know,
0: shooting the guns and, Yeah, it's just, it's all pretend for me. It's all fun. But that's what's cool. I think I've talked to a few people that were like, I would say career criminals movie-wise, like in villains. (laughs) And they're like the nicest people, like Gregory S. Cummings. He was, he's like the nicest guy. And throughout the 90s, he played every kind of like bad guy, different ethnicities from different countries. And like, that's who he was. And I think I was going to ask you, like your look, You wear that because it helps because of you, Yeah, I mean,
1: it's funny because for many, many years, I was just sort of, I wasn't leading guy and I wasn't character enough. So all in my 20s and 30s, I would just sort of play the best friend or the whatever. And casting people would always tell me, Jasper, when you get older, you know, you're really going to work. And I'd be like, shit, what am I going to do for the next 20 years? But I tell you, I turned 40, The face changed. I I got my first um, bad guy role, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to lean into this. So I grew the long hair and the beard. And I say this, I can't get rid of it. I don't want to get... Sometimes in my personal life, it would be cool to, like, not look homeless. Um, (laughs) I try to clean up a little bit. But um, (laughs) it took me years to get on any list at all, you know, so... I love being typecast. I tell actors, listen, in TV, you got to be typecast because that's where they want to put you. You know, they want to put you in a lane and um, like Danny Trejo is the OG of character actors. Yeah. So, and people think I'm Danny Trejo. It's I, first of all, we look nothing alike. He's Hispanic, <laughs> you know, At, but I always say, if you know Danny, he's like one of the kindest, sweetest you know, funniest guys. Now, of course he does have real life street cred being in prison. (laughs) He has real cred. The rest of us don't, but most of the, most of my character actor buddies are cool guys. There's not a lot of, we don't, we're not competitive with each other. You know, it's, it's kind of like we all, well, when we used to show up at auditions now, every self tape, (laughs) but I always knew, you know, if it's not my day, it'll be, kins day or they want my look or they want the redheaded guy any of us can do the part um it just comes down to what look do they want really
0: that's which great. creepy look now, do
1: they want what
0: creepy look do they want who's the creepiest today <laughs> no i think it's cool i think that i think you're right when you're a character a character actor guess what you're you're working you're getting paid i'm helping uh, actor larry hankin he's a character actor he's been like a ton of stuff I'm helping him write a book. And he got to a point in his career that he was like, I don't want to be a TV dad. So he started like not shaving and he only went for homeless guy auditions. I probably, I probably have
1: seen, I mean, a lot of these guys, I don't know by name, but if I see them, I, know. yeah, yeah.
0: Homeless. And then after he did like two or three of them, you look at his IMDb. It's like a bunch in a row. And I, and I saw that similarity in yours. There's like a few in a row and mm-hmm. it's like, Hey, whatever works, works.
1: Oh, listen, I just, I, I say to people, I work for my health and pension and my my insurance, you know, yeah, that we have to, I mean, we're the middle guy, journeyman actor, you know, that, that just shows up. And that's why I rarely ever go past a few episodes because I get killed or, I mean, I have amazing death scene reels, you know, of the different, the ways I've been killed. But it doesn't do much for longevity on a, on a show. <laughs> but it's yeah. good. It's good for the real.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. So back to like the beginnings, like you said, you're like a beam uh, behind closed doors. Right. So what was that first step towards it? Was it doing like, when you like went into the room in the auditorium and saw that, did you audition then or how did that work? Oh, no,
1: I kept it. Uh, so right after um, high school, I took, I drove out to LA Met some casting people. I just was always, looking back, I was just really driven. I don't know what the fuck. I, can I cuss on here? Sorry. Sure, yeah. I don't know what the hell I was doing, you know, <laughs> thinking I was driving too. I really, so what happened is I, a casting director finally said, Jasper, you really need to, you don't have anything to agent or sell. You need to go and learn your craft. So I moved to Atlanta and I, I enrolled at the Alliance Theater School, which was a full-time playwriting, acting, the whole curriculum. And so while there, I met this uh, female writer, Becky Kennedy, and we co-wrote a play together and we got it put up in Atlanta and it ran for a while. And then a producer in LA saw it. And he said, you know, it's like with the cigar and the gold chains, you know, Hey kid, if you ever come to LA, well, he didn't realize you don't tell a 22 year old that because literally like three weeks later, we packed the car up and, and came to LA and like, knocked on his door. Ivan Spiegel was his name. And he, I'm sure he was like, what the hell? So he had this little theater in West LA and he had this big, long running play called Bleacher bombs And he said, well, I'll put you guys on late at night after Bleacher bombs And, see if you can get an audience. And it was it was a talk show spoof set in a cable access show in South Georgia. And we played these two idiot hosts. And we started getting a following and the celebrities started coming. And I, we just got agents from it. And I thought, oh, wow, well, this is how it happens. You know, we've arrived. And then, of course, like after two years, that went down and then I had to get to the real decisions of okay are you really going to pursue this so I just kept doing I did theater probably two or three plays a year I commercials and studied acting and just became that like struggling actor in LA I mean you know looking back I I had some big breaks but I just wasn't uh, in the moment a lot. You know, when you're in your 20s, you're just so fast trying to get to the next thing that you don't really appreciate what you're doing at the time. Because you're always trying, for This there's something bigger coming, you know? Yeah. And now that I'm old, I look back and go, this whole thing about when I make it, I talk about this a lot, like quit saying when I make it, because we've been making it the whole time. We just thought that there was going to be some job that changed everything but you know because you talk to actors you can talk to the biggest biggest stars and they don't ever really feel like they quote made it because no sure it's very tenuous you know It, it no matter where you're at it can all go away quickly and i've seen i've seen a lot of people on the roller coaster
0: yeah i always ask people like what was the role obviously that you didn't feel like you made it but you maybe like in your head thought, you know what, I could really do this as a career because everybody loves it because that's why you go into it. And this guy who is like a sketch writer, he was on the Jenny McCarthy show, actor, a ton of stuff. This guy, Jack Plotnick, he goes, the day I could quit my. I know Jack really well. Oh, OK. Yeah. Oh, he's
1: he's amazing. Go ahead. Well, I'm curious what Jack said.
0: So Jack goes, "Yeah, I felt like I could make it, and I didn't even have a show that he was on, not a movie. He was in." He goes, "When I could quit my catering job, that's when I knew that that's I could it. make it."
1: Yeah, that's it. I was the um, I I was the permanent temp at an ad agency, Ogilvy and Mather Advertising. I was sort of the part time actor guy that they would let me leave and go on auditions and come back, and I was basically running. A production company in their mailroom, and they didn't know it. But um, <laughs> it's the same thing. At on my fourth year there, I finally got a, a pilot that paid me, which at the time was to any time was a lot of money. And I thought, you know what? I finally just got to trust that I can quit this day job and make a living at it. And I, I threw caution to the wind, and I, I did. And you, when you don't have something of a, a plan B. You just have to sort of make it happen. Yeah. There was no going back. I mean, I mean, so I, I, so I understand what Jack is saying. <laughs> yeah. you know? And, it, you know, it changes. Like, it's in different phases. Sometimes it's you get this great play and the part was career changing, even if not a lot of people saw it, you know, or you get that one big national commercial. Just actors need these little things of validation along the way to make them realize, wait, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I just got to hang in here.
0: What was your first things in LA? Like your first, was it like commercials first or was it? Yeah. Well in Atlanta, I actually, there was a film
1: called uh Tennessee stallion that was filming an app. I
0: saw that on there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I went to this bar and signed up to be an extra and it was, it was <laughs> Audrey and Judy Landers and one of the Van Patten. I think it was Vince Van Patten. I don't know. But but I um, I got bumped up from being an extra to a speaking part. And that's where you can then get your SAG card. And so that was my first ever on a set. And then I got a Seiko jewelry commercial. That's how my name, I, ch- I changed my name at that point. I, I didn't grow up Jasper Cole. I grew up somebody else. I had to join the union the next day I was shooting the commercial and I had to make a decision and I told her my real name and she looked it up and she goes, well, there's already a whatever, but he spells it with a different letter. And, you know, I'm this cocky. I was like, oh, no, 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 you know, I can't. I mean, you know, clearly I'm going to be a star so we can't have two two names. And she goes, well, what do you want to call yourself? And I swear to God, there was a map of Georgia behind her. And I saw Jasper George, and I went, Jasper Cole. Just, just, just call me Jasper Cole.
0: That's, that's fine. Amazing. Just an
1: idiot, seriously. I love that. And that's and then I, that's how I joined the union. And then it was, you know, because I'm a junior too. Like I'm the junior of my dad's name. Yeah. So when I tried to explain to my parents, and I was like, "Well, Dad, think about it. If I do a lot of dumbass stuff as an actor and get some bad publicity, no one's going to ever know." that I'm your son, <laughs> yeah. so I'm not going to do anything to the family name, right?
0: <laughs> so that's, that's how awesome. that happened.
1: But yeah, then yeah, and I think my first TV role was—I have to look. I don't know if it's Charles in Charge or Married with Children. I don't know. It's one of the. I
0: are, have no, yeah, I have a, I have them up here. No, he's the first ones I wrote down. Like, cause there was that one, the the Tennessee one, and Tennessee then after that, Italian? it was like an '88. There was things you did before that, but then in '88—that's where, like, sort of like seemed like it picked up, so 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 to speak. Because each year it seemed like you were doing at least like three or four things. Because that's '18 again, Alien Nation, and then the Baywatch pilot. That's
1: right. Baywatch was the pilot was my first TV. But so I was up until '94. I was still working at the ad agency. So any of the credits like before '94, those were guest spots where they would let me leave. And go shoot for a few days or come back or whatever. Um, So I would, yeah. But then I started getting national commercials. And back in that day, in those days, you could really do well. Yeah. Yeah. Now they pretty much know how much it's going to run before you get it. But again, you know, I look back on some of the commercials I got. And the money we were making, it's like, well, I, I mean, thank God I had a brother that was a big, who was a good guy at like saving money because I, yeah. I didn't know anything about saving money in my twenties. Yeah. I mean, you know, I did later on, but um, I've always been, I've always lived way below my means because I just, I always thought about getting older and wanting to have the pension and all that stuff. So, yeah. So, but yeah, that, that, I guess the Baywatch pilot was my first TV thing. That's awesome. That was with and... Parker, Parker Stevenson. and and Oh, and then my friend Gina Heck actually played Parker's wife in that. And I believe that's how, that's part of the reason I got seen for that. See? I, I can't see what I mean. It's like, I don't do drugs or drink, and I can't remember half the show. It, oh, it,
0: it's so long ago. Don't worry about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just all kind of blurs together at a certain point
0: the one that I found very fascinating was uh, so Jason takes Manhattan. You were in that.
1: I got cut out of that, but I'm, I still shot it. So, um, which was another, now that's an example of a great experience where that, that was what number eight or seven or five. I don't know. It was, eight, it was eight. Yeah. Is it that many? Yeah. And I was, you know, I was a fan of those, those other ones, but it was a kick-ass director. And it was another example of like, you just get that experience of working. I, I played a, a gym trainer, a trainer in a gym that gets it's cut out, so I don't make the movie, but it's I think I'm uncredited in it. But but yeah, I mean it, again, just to be my name attached to that franchise was was great. That was a moment for me where I thought, oh okay, this is another. You know, in those days, you really had to go in and audition. And you're up against a lot of people for these roles. So it was, it was validation, you know, To, some, I'm doing something right.
0: Yeah. No, we've been, I've I obviously grown up in Jersey. The movie only was in Manhattan for 10 minutes when they shot the Times Square scenes. But I've always yeah. loved those movies. And Friday the 13th, the first one shot in Jersey. But I've interviewed now, including yourself, like four people that worked on it. Two people that wouldn't have been on that ship. The, the first girl, Tiffany Paulson, she dies in like the opening scene on The Little Boat. And this guy, Michael Benier, who was one of the thugs that gets killed. But I just chatted with Ken Kiersinger, who was the stunt coordinator on that movie. And he played Jason's double, double. throughout the movie, When whenever wow. they use second unit.
1: Right. But see, all that kind of experience. And that's why I always say, because a lot of times I've been cut out a lot of well not that I've been lucky I've been cut out a lot but but a lot of times your our parts get edited down anyway I always say yeah. it's really a, it's it's the experience of making something that you take with you it's you we don't really as actors we have no control over how it ends up or unfortunately you know sometimes you know your best takes you know you did this kick-ass scene and then you go, you see it on TV or you watch the the movie and you're like you know, they didn't even use that take. I know. <laughs> Actors have to understand too, when you're a co-star or even a guest star, it, it's not about you, it's about the leads. So they're gonna sometimes take their best take, their coverage. Who gives a damn how bad you were? You know, so it's yeah. Just <laughs> no, have to true. let it go.
0: <laughs> that's so great. And then from there you're on like the, the series and then the commercials, the ones that you had listed on like the bio, whoever put the bio on your IMDb were like DirecTV. That was more recent, right? Yeah, that was with Rob Lowe when Rob oh, was cool. doing those series of oh, bad decisions. yeah, de- they were Bad, great. The bad cable, decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Bad decisions. That was one. Yep. I did a that same year, I did a 1 uh, 800 contacts with the bird that's in all the Pirate of, Pirate of the Caribbean movies. His name is Chip. And this guy, he had like this flamb- this really flamboyant gay couple that owned him that like, dressed like him. I mean, they dressed in the same colors and everything. And we were on this big make-believe ship on a, you know, and here comes these, the guys with the bird. And I go, they never even told me there'd be a bird in the scene. And so <laughs> they plot this big macaw on me and they were telling me about, you know, he's, he's been in this movie and he's a star and he goes to Comic-Con and everyone loves him and <laughs> he's amazing. And so we, we, we do the first rehearsal and the, the bird has to say F you basically. He has to say, F-U. and yeah. we did the first take and it was fine. And then we got to the second take and he says F you at the wrong time. And we, so we all start laughing. And so he's right here and I'm laughing. He decides to chomp down on the side of my my face and my eye, and wouldn't let go. So here's this bird grabbed onto me, and you, I mean the the owners, these two guys, they were screaming as if somebody were shooting them. And then the ad agency and the the uh, the production companies were freaking out. And it was like the last shot of the day, and all I could feel was like all this blood coming down my face, and I thought, oh my god. I have literally lost – I'm going to go – I've been blinded by a macaw <laughs> on a fucking commercial. And, I mean, luckily, the way he grabbed me was just, like, above and below the eyeball. Yeah. But you can imagine. I mean, they were just – like, most actors would have been, call my lawyer, call my agent, get me the – you know. But I, you know, I remain chill and cool. Luckily, they got the first take because otherwise oh, – <laughs> i had to go get stitches and it was just a hot mess
0: <laughs> that bird was like you're not gonna laugh at me
1: <laughs> but he was like fuck you everybody's laughing yeah and he's like wait a minute what a diva right yeah <laughs> but those poor owners they call me they text me for weeks are you okay oh, you that's know. great yeah so oh my god i'm not gonna be the actor that well, if I'd lost my eye, you know,
0: clearly. Oh yeah. Well that happened, but no, that's, that's insane. (laughs) So then like uh, all around that point, like you said, so many shows like saved by the bell, the new class married with children, like one of my favorites of all time. And there's just so many every year you're like always working. And that's obviously how you hone your craft. I was very blessed. Yeah. And just to get to be on these sets and
1: that's how you learn, you know, just because, you know, even if you have a small part, you have to be there all week. And I was just always a sponge. Like I've always, because I produced, you know, the play I came to town with. So I was always producing as well as acting. So I could never just, I mean, it's great to just show up and be the actor because then if something's wrong, it's not your problem. But I always wanted to do more than just act. So I would want to go to the video village and watch the camera. I never wanted to direct though. I'm like one of the few actors that I don't want to work that hard. That's really. <laughs> yeah. And I can't really, I can't tell other, I I'm not good at talking, acting to other actors. Like yeah. I don't, I don't think it's brain surgery to be honest. So I can't stand actors that, like pontificate on their craft and their method. And, you know, I'm like, everyone has their method just do just hit your marks. Let's get home by 10 hours and go home, you know. So but it's it it's such a collaborative effort, you know, when you get on a set. Yeah.
0: Were people kind enough to give like tips and stuff? Like I talked to uh Jennifer Lyons, who she mm-hmm. had enough tips growing up. Her uncle is James Best oh, from Dukes okay. of Hazard. So like wow. Wow. she she had that growing up, but she said uh Ed O'Neill was like the nicest to her because she was on like four episodes, she was Kelly's friend. And mm-hmm. he like pulled her aside and like taught her how to wait for a laugh. And like, he was like, yeah, like almost like a dad moment. Like when she paused to wait for the audience to laugh. And I think, yeah, things like that it are is, You know,
1: three camera, what well, was three camera at that time? You know, that's like, as a theater actor, it's like the best of both. Cause you're, you're in front of a live audience. However, yes, it's the cameras are set with marks. You've got to say the line, it, hoping there's a the laugh. You know, hole for the laugh, and then they change. They change the jokes on the spot a lot. So the writers, you'll do a take, and then they huddle together. Like, so Jasper, this time, say my eyes hurt or something. You know, and so you got to be ready to sort of like change it on the spot. But Mary with Children was like that um, Fox's first real show, and oh, so yeah. they were like the ugly. Stepchild, you know they were getting all the press about how raunchy they were and stuff. So it was kind of like a um, a frat party atmosphere there. It was a real except Katie Seagal. Katie Seagal was very ironically. I mean, she was very serious about the work, you know. Which I mean, I mean, it was a funny show. We weren't doing Shakespeare, but she took yeah. it very serious because she really hadn't done much acting. She came from being a. Uh, Harlett with Bette Midler. She was a singer. Yeah. And so really, I, I I think she had done a play in LA. Someone saw her in the play and that's how she got married with children. So she that's crazy. was crazy. It's just like her first big thing.
0: I watched on the documentary with them. She put out an album and even when she was doing like the rounds on talk shows, she was talking more about her singing because she put on an Music. album. Yeah. I think I think that was her great,
1: love you know and yeah
0: and then I mean and then of course I'm sure I
1: mean who thought who really would have known like Mary with Children took off right I'm sure she did it like to get into the acting thing and get her (laughs) first tv thing ironically I know her long-term manager now just just as an off thing you know and she's been with the same manager from day one she's very loyal she's a really good lady yeah
0: amazing you're right like that was like for I think every decade, there's like that uh, that lower middle class family show that works, but a mm-hmm. lot of them don't. But that show is just one of the best. I think, of all time. I think they
1: were pitched initially as the anti Cosby, you know. They were <laughs> married children, was supposed to be like everything Cosby, <laughs> That's <wasn't. true>. yeah,
0: <laughs> doctor, shoe salesman, woman's just, shoe salesman, right?
1: Because this was pre Roseanne, you know, so it was like, yeah. You know, they were the first blue collar. Well, not the first blue collar sitcom in history, but this was. It was a raunchy. You know what I mean? It was a. It was a spoof, really.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So one thing I thought was pretty cool on your IMDb and I tried to, so this was a, because on your photos that you have, most of your photos are with the beard. And one that I love is with, I interviewed Susie Lanier Bramlett. She's like one Uh, of the nicest. She's a dear friend of mine. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I I talked to her for like hours and then like her little click that she grew up with, she connected me with the guy that was like the creator on TGI. uh, Like most of the shows there in TGIF, he was a creator. And they were best Eric, friends. Eric Cohen. Uh no, not Eric Cohen. Yes. It was uh God, I should know his name. That's okay.
1: Well, Eric went on to be her is her brother-in-law. You know, her sister married Eric, who created Welcome Back Cotter.
0: Oh, that's how she got days. that first gig. But even he worked on that show. Uh, I have it somewhere, but no. Uh, but looking at you without a beard, without your beard, so one show that I found on YouTube that has a really big following like underground following, I would say, but Acapulco Bay. Oh, wow. Yes. That was, that was
1: a show that they, I believe that was a telenovela. That's when they were, uh, they were taking Mexican uh, Latin telenovelas and going to shoot them in an English version. And they thought, I think that was Fox. It was, they were hoping it was going to be a nighttime thing. Um, and we went to we shot that in Mexico City, um, I think. Yeah. But yeah, so it was. Yeah. And I, I just had a, a, a one time spot on there. But yeah, it was um, it was a bunch of American actors who are taking a telenovela in English and recreating it. I had no idea what it was at the time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> No, they have you listed for three episodes, and they thought it was funny. Your name, your character's name, was Ron Swanson. But if you watch that, I'm not even kidding. The only photos that are on your IMDb, I think there's two with you out the without the beard, and I don't know what year they're from. But there's a guy in that show. I swear, I thought it was you. And then when I watch the credits, I'm like, but that's not his name. But where, it looked uh, like. Yet. Where where does the show air now? It's just on YouTube. I googled oh, it on YouTube, YouTube. but oh, people okay. were like, the comments were like thank you so much for posting this i love this show and i'm like (laughs) it's so cool when like shows like that i've talked to so many people and the things that people remember them for are the ones that they didn't think would work and i think that's what's love that's what i love about cult classics and fandom but that that guy's name was uh bill bickley william bickley is uh her long time she grew up with him in dallas and she also grew up with uh Another person I can't think of her name. Huge soap actress and a million bajillion things. Morgan worth... Fairchild. Yes, yes. That's one of her
1: close friends.
0: Yeah. M- Morgan's
1: real name is Patsy Kinney, I think. Patsy. Well, she, t- she not a bad her name. name yeah. Yeah, no, she and Morgan, yeah. There's another, uh, Camilla Carr is another actress and writer who also came out from um, Dallas with Susie. That oh, yeah. Susie uh... and, and I had the same uh, – Agent and manager for many, many, many years. Oh, wow. And yeah. We still have not we, – we're trying to work together on something because I think she has some of the best comedic timing ever. I mean, I know people know her from Hills Have Eyes, of course, but she's a really good comic actor, actress.
0: Yeah, it was really her – her love was uh, obviously with her late husband was music. But Delane. she – all the shows, if you looked on – and the fact that she was the first girl on uh, – Three's Company. Unbelievable. And when I watched that, I was like, I was like, how is this? That's And crazy. she was actually the second.
1: They did a pilot before her. Oh, I didn't the, see that one. Find that version because there's another girl. I forgot her name. And then Suze came in. And isn't it funny because when you watch the final one with Suzanne Somers, it's the exact directions and everything. I mean, everything Suze Lanier did, it was yeah. like they just. Did she talk about doing Three's Company? And the, yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. How she was cast and it was rushed, and yeah, she was. It was they literally like threw her in there. I think she only had like two days to to get in and replace the other girl. Yeah, crazy. it's crazy. <laughs> and you see Sue's now, and I mean you see her then. It's like that's an example where that just wasn't her part, right? I mean that wasn't supposed because that would have been life changing career changing but it was going to be suzanne summers yeah you know and then look at the drama suzanne had from that you know i know so
0: (laughs) so i think we're right about the point that you said like that things obviously started to change for you You quit the ad agency do you remember like what the the show was or the movie that like it really changed for you well, it was a it was a pilot that never aired. That's the other
1: thing. Back in the day, I think I at one time I did like ten or eleven pilots that wow. never you know, pilot season used to be pilot season was designed to find new talent. That's how it used to be. I mean you would always have like a main star, but it was to find new people. Now pilots are all stars, you know, you, you can't but um th- that one was an NBC pilot about three female detectives who are undercover detectives by their wait their waitresses by night and <laughs> undercover I mean it was so stupid but but they it was like it was like a good chunk of money that you know cuz you do the you sign and when you go into test for those shows you have to sign the 5 year contract even before you do the pilot. So that way you're locked into your, what you're agreeing to get. So if you could pick up the pilot, I mean, some shows go back later, like friends and renegotiate, Yeah, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, but I did so many pilots that never got picked up. And I used to say, damn what, you know, but again, those were mostly comedies and they were, they were, I didn't know I was going to get to this, part of my career playing the bad guy so looking back it's like you were just that was supposed to be a money grab jasper yeah you know that was a money grab and a learning experience because i really thought i was going to be the sitcom guy always like the comedy person i never thought i'd be playing bad guys that was just like unheard
0: of no way (laughs) right you know like that's yeah that's crazy 10 or 11 pile like i thought about this and obviously it wouldn't be able to happen. I'm sure they're somewhere in some vault somewhere. But when COVID first hit, I'm trying to—I don't know who I was talking to. I think it was a producer. I was like, you know, it'd be so cool because obviously there's something terrible going on in the world. But I'm like, people aren't going to be able to film for a while. Man, that'd be wild if they showed them. Obviously, there would be money because some actor maybe was a nobody then, and now they're a huge star, and they'll want more of a chunk of change. But I thought that'd be so cool to watch these like random one-off pilots to see. I think pilots are so fascinating because sometimes they're really like, they're trying to give you a summary of what you're going to see. But other times they're absolutely so bad, like Seinfeld and then they get a shot and then they go, they flourish from there. But I thought that'd be so cool to watch old pilots. I know. I, someone told me recently that anything before like,
1: 1990, they, they don't even keep the, like they, I, I guess it was on beta and film, you know, it's a whole different yeah, yeah. process and a lot of them just, they just burn the stuff, you know, but sometimes a pilot will get listed on IMDb like as a TV movie, even if they don't air it, I think, but now with all these different uh, platforms and places to put stuff, I can't keep, I, I get little residuals sometimes for what I got one for once. I got a penny residual and I saved it because that was the net. The gross was three cents. And the and I'm thinking, OK, you paid for the payroll company, the printing of the check,
0: know. you know,
1: the, the, the envelope. I mean, now it's direct deposited. But in the day we used to go, I used to call it mailbox money. You would go to your mailbox and get checks. And it was like Christmas Day. You, I, I mean, you'd open one might be three cents, but one might be, you know. $300 or more, or you just never knew. Yeah. Now they get direct deposited into our accounts, but not as I fun. Mean, no, you get it like an e- but you get that email, you know, and you can click and see. <laughs> and a lot of times it's like, what? This was like 30 years ago or 25 years ago, or it's amazing what they keep up with and where and somewhere they're airing somewhere or they're like DVD sales and my biggest Magruber was my biggest 2009 when I got Magruber that was like that was like the last stage I'm still in of like that took my career to another level in terms of getting in the room for the Cohen brothers and reading for big projects and whatever but I mean Magruber got such a cult following yeah and now it's you know a, a series on uh, Peacock but I still get – I get residuals from that all the time. Like, wow, people are buying this this little movie. It's – yeah. I, I said to – when I found out they were doing the series, Yorma, the director, I texted him. I was like, can't Zeke come back as a zombie? Because I'm dead. I get killed. <laughs> yeah. And I thought he was going to go for it for a moment. He's like, oh, we should work on that. didn't happen. <laughs> but the series is still very funny.
0: Oh, man, that's so cool. So it's when did mindless. it change – when did you get to the point that you, like, one was like, I'm going to try to be a bad guy. What was that turning point? Okay.
1: So it was a, it's a credit called prom queen and it was a uh, Michael Eisner's prom queen, which was really, I think 2000.
0: I have it down at seven, 2007. Seven,
1: seven. And it was the first really web series that they used to call them web series, not digital. That sort of was a big deal because it was, it was Michael Eisner and. Vaguru Productions, and it was a kick-ass series of, I, again, I was the stepfather, I was the evil stepfather to one of the high school kids on the show. It's the first time I'd really played a bad guy, um, and I just got great response from it, and like, who is this, you know, creepy guy, and, you know, we're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I I sort of had to reintroduce myself to casting people to the industry, because they were so used to me being sort of the sidekick, the funny guy. I just didn't even look the same anymore because I had changed so much physically. At that time, when I did that show my hair wasn't even long. That's when I decided to go to lean into it and create this whole look. And so from 2007 till now, I've had this like almost 15-year run of being one of the bad, Hollywood's bad guys. One of many bad guys. When they call me I don't know where this Hollywood bad guy came from because I'm just, there's a lot of guys playing bad guys.
0: Jasper Cole does
1: not have the, you know, monopoly on that. So, yeah.
0: so I'm sure those roles were around when you're always auditioning. What like attracted you to that role? Did your manager or agent be like, Jasper, you should take a look at this.
1: Yeah. I think again, you know, it's just another audition, you know, we, yeah. we, We just never can plan stuff, right? And whenever you try to make something happen, it really doesn't happen. So for me, it was just another. I remember thinking, "What is a web series?" You know, like I, I really, I thought, "Well, do they shoot it like a regular show?" I just had no. I couldn't wrap my head around it. Yeah, it's just a regular show film. It just, it's just going to air on computers and phones and stuff. So yeah, that show got. Daytime Emmy nominations and when and then there was a sequel, uh, Prom Queen Summer Nights that I the character was on and that's when I really got into a little bit into the social media thing. But they they had us do fan pages and stuff. And then it was MacGruber though that Universal really wanted us all to get on Facebook because I think Facebook had been around a little bit at that time. Yeah. But yeah, so Prom Queen was really was really it for me. That was the beginning. Um, and I don't think I have not played a non bad guy. I mean, even when I'm on a comedy now, I'm still the bad guy. I don't I'm not usually the funny guy. I have a new digital series that's coming out called Kombucha Cure that I also produce, and I get to really be nice. the quirky. I mean, he's still Vietnam vet, quirky, but he's a really funny. I get to go back to my comedy roots um, in this one. Yeah. And play like this weird kind of Northern exposure kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So how do you, how do you like to audition? Is there like a method to it? Like when you're being, I know that you said, it's just like, Hey, anybody can do it, but is there a thing you do to go into an audition when you're playing a bad guy? Are you face on? Because in your photos, I'm telling you, you're like the nicest looking guy you look so chill and just some of those photos are just like you do this thing with your eyes and it just changes your face yeah and the face
1: you know so a a director told me years ago it's like when you jasper when you already look the part you don't have to add stuff onto it because you know for tv it's so everything it's like the camera's like right here so any like just the slightest raise of an eyebrow is like huge right so you learn to play everything really small. But what for me, what changed it was coming from the theater. You're never supposed to lock in a performance at an audition for theater. You're supposed to sh- pretend, like show that you're open and you can do. But TV, you need to do exactly in your audition what you're going to do on set. But I didn't know that. So until so that this is how I started. So I started looking at the audition as I've already booked the job. I'm actually showing up to shoot. So, because most of the auditions, there's a camera in the room. So I would go in as if I'm already shooting it. They they just clearly pretend decided not to use me. But um, I changed my mind about auditions. So I looked, I looked forward to them because I thought I was going to work that day. Rather than go in there, like, like me, love me. No, I already have the job. That's great. I'm just doing it today. And it changed my whole attitude about auditions. I looked forward to them. Like, you know, I'm here. Let's go. And then the whole self-taping, pre, even prior to COVID, we had moved to self-taping for about a year before. Um, I love the self-taping also because you don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to go in the room. There is a certain... You don't get the advantage of having an adjustment in the room where a caster might say, let's do it again, Jasper, but do something else. Yeah. So I I try to do two or three takes when I self-tape just to show them something different, but it just, it's so much better than driving and <laughs> parking bet. and sitting in the waiting room and even commercials. Now commercial auditions are all done on zoom, you know, so so it's just like this: you're in the waiting room, and you're like, "Hey, hey, Doug, how you doing, man? <laughs> yeah. Haven't seen you in a while." It's all the all the chit chat that you would have in person. Yeah. But you don't have to drive somewhere and park your car, and and then they invite you in, and you click, you and click, you know, you click a button, and you, you walk, <laughs> and then suddenly they're all on the screen, and shit, I love it. I can't imagine ever going back
0: in the room again. Yeah, I work from home, so I I totally get it. I would never I really uh, don't want to ever go in an office again.
1: The problem now is we 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 do all these th- then when I book a job, I'm like, "Oh shit. I got to I got to go I got to go do it." I'm like, <laughs> "I just I just wanted to book it. I didn't think I was going to have to go and actually show up and do. And then when I show up, now I'm like, How long, how long is the, you know, how many hours are we going to be here? That's the problem. I can't, I watch scripted stuff now and I'm always like, oh shit, you know, who was sick that day? Like I can tell you, I can watch anything I've done. If I was sick that day, I know, I know if I had a fever, you know, if I was puking in my trailer, I, it's so funny. Like the stuff, I can tell you exactly what was happening in my life. Like what drama was happening (laughs) before they said action, you know? hilarious (laughs)
0: no i love asking about auditions i think it's like the coolest thing like my favorite audition story is uh danny devito he's another jersey guy when he went in for louis de palma he walked in and he looked at the people behind the table and he said hey who wrote this this shit and he threw it down and then he like walked out (laughs) and he
1: got the and that's the character
0: (laughs) yeah and they chased him down and they're like you're a louis de palma like I think it's so cool. Cause I think you have to, and I love that mindset. Like I think if you go in there and you're like, Hey, I want you to love me, love Jasper, but I love that you would go in and be like, I got this part. They're just, you know, there's just a technicality, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would go in ready. Like I always said to actors, I mean,
1: you have to judge the room. If they want to chit chat and have small talk first, do that. Fine. But I just, it's the same on the set. You do the chit chat and then they say, so for me, I'm just on the set waiting. And then they, then she'd say, you're ready. And we do it. And then it'd be just like a director. We do another take. And it just, I saw my booking started really increasing after that. I mean, there's no kind of like crazy method or anything acting. I mean, I would still, because the other thing you're being judged about in a room is, do you really want to spend 12 hours a day with this guy? Like that's is true. He crazy. Or is he I mean, I tell actors all the time that the most talented person does not get the job. It's rarely, it's usually who they, they want to be around for 10 hours on a set. And never. you know, pretty much every time we book a job, they always say, You're we're pending network approval. Well, what network approval means is they are running your name through the database to see what the what the mo is on you would you work with this guy again or whatever is there any kind of you know does he have an ankle bracelet on or you know <laughs> does he have a warrant out for his arrest so it's yeah the, you, it's a small town and it's a small business and your at your pers- your attitude makes a big difference
0: yeah, yeah right no it is like the smallest of everybody seems to either have known each other or bumped into each other or on the same set with each other it's like yeah. that
1: it is it's a small town and but now the lot i've been doing it like 35 years so a lot of the casting directors that i really knew they have either sort of retiring or so now it's like you gotta always try to stay current um Everybody loves – Doris Roberts was a dear friend of mine who was the mom on Everybody Loves Raymond. And and I knew Doris from the time I moved here, so I watched her career and ups and downs. But the guy who played her husband, Peter Boyle, it's kind of the Danny DeVito story. Doris was directing a play, and she got the call to go for the sitcom, and she had heard it's another stand-up comedian getting a sitcom. And I remember she was like, God damn it, I'm not going to be bothered with another – asshole comedian who can't and 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 bruce and i my friend and her we go to her, she really got to go just just go i mean what and so we sat in at her rehearsal and did the rehearsal for her play so she could go to warner brothers and do this audition and she came back and she said oh, she goes oh my god do you guys know who peter boyle is and i we but when she said young frankenstein and a couple of things it's the same thing Peter, I guess it was when they were testing for the network, and she they wanted her to test with Peter. So they were waiting and waiting, and he hadn't gotten there yet. I guess he got lost trying to park on the lot. So he just, like, burst in the door, and he was like, God damn it, if you want me to come in here, find some fucking parking for me. And he looks at Doris, and he goes, what's wrong with you? Or something like that. That was Marie and Frank, like, and yeah. so he threw his script down and walked out, and he He got the job and Doris was like horrified, you know, like she couldn't believe that he got, he got the job. But I mean, then they became really, really close. That's another example where he probably (laughs) thought, I don't give a shit about this job. Other actors had come in, you know, they had hit, hit every moment and every beat and worked on it for hours. And you just,
0: you can't, if it's your part, it's your part. Yeah, I think you're you're right. Can you imagine being in the waiting room? There's other people waiting to audition. They're like, guys, just a few more minutes. I think Peter's going to be here soon. And they listen to that within earshot, that whole blow up. They're like, oh, he's out of here. He's not going to get it. And then he's got the part you guys can go home. I mean, she
1: said he was just sweating (laughs) because it was hot and it was in the summer. And, you know, they make you park like way the fuck away from the place. And even now, when I I I get lost on these these lots and they give you a map and it's like you the fucking can read a map but i can imagine how he came in when doris did remington Steel before that she was yeah she played that when they were casting that part she had heard that part mildred was supposed to be like this gorgeous playboy sexy blonde young woman and she had heard that they all these people had been going in and they couldn't find the part so she said to her agent can you give me an audition for that And her agent was like, well, Doris, they want this like sexy playboy bunny. She goes, no, no. I did a play off Broadway where I played this dowdy secretary. Get me an audition. I want to go. My friend Bruce, who worked with her, went to the audition with her. They were sitting in the casting office. Sure enough, there were just all these models in there. One model would go in and come out. And then they said, Doris, are you ready? And Doris goes in and Bruce is like, she's in there and she's in there, and it's like all these people are waiting, literally like an hour. And Doris comes out, and she closes the door, and she turns, and she goes like this to Bruce. They literally called her agent while she was in the room and made the offer for the part. So I tell actors all the time, you can change their mind. It doesn't happen a lot, but you can change their mind of what they thought the character was going to be. And... um, That's happened to me a couple of times where the part was supposed to be old, older, like 70s, but they needed a a creepy bad guy. And one time I remember I went for this, um, captured this movie and I thought, why am I, why am I in this casting session? All these people are, but Dan Velez, the casting director said to me after, he goes, no, I just wanted them to have an alternative choice, Jasper, in case they could go younger. And I got it. So
0: that's awesome.
1: But part of me, when I read the, co- the age on the thing, I almost didn't go to the audition because I thought, well, why am I going? So I tell actors, go to everything, put your, put yourself on tape for everything because you may not get that job, but it can lead to another job. Yeah. And you'll get better, better doing it. You know, and you can still draw your unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Actors live on unemployment.
0: So one thing that I thought was really cool on your IMDb, like how'd you get connected with Leno? Great example. Scott Yule, the
1: casting director. I, it's again, I just, um, it was an audition to go in to play like a, a, I'm trying to think what was the first thing I ever went in for? It was a, it was a, Oh, it was a, a, a prisoner in a Mexican jail, a drug addict in a Mexican jail, right? You think Leno. But I went in for that. This is the thing a lot of people don't know. They shoot all. They would shoot all these sketches. Then by the then they would look at them, and by the time the show aired live, half of them never got never aired. They would just get cut. We would get paid for going there and doing them. But Scott would call like he would call that morning and be like, "Jasper, can you be here at two o'clock?" And if I could, I'd run over and do something. A lot of times, I missed it because so there was a group of us. That kind of got in this little um, Tonight Show players, and uh, yeah, we would just go over and and tape it. It would usually be with the the director and the crew, and sometimes Jay would be in them, sometimes not. But um, but one of mine was playing like the drunk Easter Bunny at the day after Easter at the White House. They had an Obama impersonator. Another one, was a guy with a chainsaw that's trying to kill people. I mean. It was great though, because it was I got to sit in on the run-throughs of the Tonight Show, and Jay Leno. Everything was scripted, so when I say everything, I mean they had someone sit in, and he he went over the questions with a PA as if they were the star that night, and he did not, he did not go off his cards. Wow. There was no like improvising with him, had not like a Letterman. And that was strange to me because I come from the improv world, you know. So I learned a couple of times. I tried to improvise a couple of things with Kevin, the band leader, and me and my character. And it was like, no, no, don't go off script. Because then I found out much later, Jay is really dyslexic, really badly dyslexic. And so everything had to stay the way it was planned. Yeah, wow. he was a great guy, though. It was a, it was no, great he experience. was. It?
0: No, that's pretty fascinating. That's how good it seemed because, as a watcher of many years, not you wouldn't even think that. So how old are you? You're young, right? But I'm you're... 35. Okay, so even me, even for the original
1: Tonight Show, Johnny Carson. I mean, I was a kid then, but they never changed the studio. So when you would go there, like the dressing rooms were the 70s shag carpet. And the and the wallpaper, so they, it was like an homage to Carson, um and some of the people working there, like the wardrobe lady. I mean, they had been there years and years, yeah. and so it was just being even being backstage. It was just I would, when I could, I'd wander all around, you know, yeah. and I would just think about all the just all the people that had been in these dressing rooms and. And the drama—I mean, who knows? Like, what would be—you know—the same curtains that just were kind of musty, and he <laughs> wanted
0: Jay wanted to keep it all just like uh, Johnny had it. The nostalgia, like I talked to Buddy Hackett's son Sandy, and like his appearance, like Buddy would always like toe the line with like censors and like upsetting Johnny, and like what Don Rickles would just like roast. Frank Sinatra. Out of nowhere. God, I love like, Don Rickles. Yeah. I started,
1: see, when Joan Rivers was hosting, that's when I really, I love that caustic. I love Don Rickles, Joan Rivers, Sarah Silverman, Kathy Grimm, anybody that just like goes for the jugular. I love yeah. that kind of humor. So I got really addicted to watching when Joan Rivers would host. Um, I thought, you know, I thought Carson was, he was fine for me. I was young. I didn't get, David Letterman was more my yeah cup of tea, but but getting to work on the Tonight Show. It's funny because Scott, the casting director, when Jay left, he left, and he's a real estate agent now and lives in Palm Springs, and he just left the business altogether because he said, "Well, I, I know I know I was never going to get a job as good as the Tonight Show, so let me just go out with that memory rather than trying to recreate it." Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess yeah. that's true. And then Ray, Ray, I, I watched a little bit of it, like your scenes, but in the one – the Hansel and Gretel movie, which – That was – yeah. Wild. That's where D I, played Wallace? A,
1: a, I played a mute. I had no, I had no lines the entire movie. Uh, it's, I did an interview recently. It's still one of the hardest jobs I ever did because I, I couldn't talk. So like you, anything I had to express – had to be in my eyes or whatever, but all that was a physically really demanding role because I did a lot of stunts that I really shouldn't have done and got injured on that set and had back back surgery. Would you get injured on when that thing hit you in the back? No, it's just so funny. I got my first take of the first day of the movie. There's a scene where I I run out the front door of this cabin to chase Stephanie who played uh, Gretel yeah. It's literally the first scene in the movie on a Saturday morning. And I had to wear I had these boots on. And so they said action and she ran and I took off and there was four steps and I missed the first step and I ripped my hamstring. I, I felt it rip. And if you watch the thing, I'm limping. I'm supposed to chase her and I'm I'm limping to get to her and I grab her I'm supposed to drag her back to the steps and and I did and I was like Oh, my God. What the fuck? You know, but you can't. And so the very next setup was D comes out, and then we sit on the steps and have a scene with her. And there's this b- bumblebee wafts, right, about to sting D in the face. My leg is clearly, I'm thinking I'm going to go to the hospital, but I'm not saying a word. And then this bee stings her on the side of the head. And it was just, this was day one. Oh, so, my gosh. Um, I try not to say anything and later that day I couldn't hide the limping around and Dee finally took me to the side and she goes, what is wrong with you? Did you hurt yourself? And I was like, no, 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 It's, you know, it's, and she was like, no, you got to report, you got to go take care of this. So, and so yeah, I did a lot of my own stunts in that, that film, um, that scene where the thing hits me in the back. There's, yeah, there's a scene where I have to run down a hill carrying the ax and in the boots and stuff. And, we did several takes where they wanted me to f- f- roll down the hill instead of walking. And so, you know, it's like one of those things where they're losing the light. It's the end of the day. You don't want to be that douchebag actor. <laughs> they're like, Jasper, you you were a gymnast, right? You did stunts. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And so they're like, do you mind just rolling down the hill? And I'm like, yeah. And it looks cool. But then you don't realize how you're just jacking up yourself, you know? Yeah. So... So I ended up having two years later, I had two discs replaced in my back. Oh. And then last year I had a uh, two discs replacing in my neck from all the stunt work that Jasper should have never done. Uh,
0: um, I could tell yeah. like that was after. So in movie wise, she stabs you in the hand. She runs out of the house because I was, I'm not even kidding. I was watching it and my wife came in and I said to her, I was like, man, it looks like He's hurt. Because when you're going to sit on the step, like dying. it looks so weird. Because you're like, I can't believe you. it looks like you, it looks like your left. I think it was your left leg. It, it looked yeah, like it was leg. like frozen because you were like trying That's to it. lift it and not bend it. That's
1: oh my god! Now you see, I was, yeah. I literally ripped the hamstring, and so, ah. and I'm wearing these boots that are huge. And, and yeah. And then the moment in the adrenaline, you don't know what you've done, but you just know it's fucking D Wallace and you're not going to mess up this next shot. I knew we just had to get through the first two shots and then we would be, we'd cut, you know, but yeah, I, I, when I look at them, when I look back, I see myself limping back. But so then to match it, I have to have a limp through most of the movie so if you ever see me again, I'm dragging my leg yeah. because Anthony, the director who went on to do all the short NATO movies, he's like, "Dude, you're going to have to like drag that leg as part of your character." So there would be times when we do a take, and he's like, "Cut, Jasper, you forgot you forgot to drag your leg," because by then my hamstring had healed up. You know yeah. not to see. It's that kind of stuff that that. You don't see behind the scenes, obviously, you know?
0: No, that's crazy. That's funny. You could tell, you could notice that I was- I thought, I really thought I'm like, I, I, cause you did it before, before that. So I was like, that's just like, to me, it was like a weird choice, but I thought like the way D raised both of you. So maybe that was like something because how you were like kept away. And I got to say, she, she doesn't age-
1: Oh no, she's, she's, she's ageless. And it's crazy. And you know, this, this was a low budget, you know, um, yeah. asylum film and she was really, she took care of everybody. Like, you know, um, just safety wise, she was very much about, nope, stop. We're not, you know, stop That's it. Awesome. We're not, you know, protecting the actors. Cause you know, she's the, the real veteran on the set. So she's, she's a great lady. She's a, um, you know, she's a minister. A lot of people don't know. She's got this real spiritual,
0: I never knew side. that. Wow!
1: She does spiritual podcast and uh, Church of Religious Science is where she's an ordained minister. So, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. She's it's, again here. She does. She plays so many of these horror films. <laughs> yeah. that, you know, but that was the first. That was a great role for her because she got to really play the the villain. You know, the bad the bad lady in that one. Because usually she's she's the good mother, or you know, or, the, or victimized. Or the victim. Right. That's why she told me she really wanted to do to play that crazy lady.
0: That's great. Yeah. (laughs) So just a few more things that I I have to talk about was like, I, we talked about it. Like, uh, when I saw your IMDb, like the homeless, like it worked, there was like a few in a row and the one that it was really small and I'm sure maybe it was bigger when it was being shot, but in the purge anarchy, That was such a brutal scene. You were one of those homeless guys like in like living near the in the subway or the train station.
1: Yeah. And my big scene got cut. My big scene was um, there's a scene where I'm I'm in a gypsy dumpster. I mean, you see this homeless guy and then in the scene, the the night of the purge. I forgot the two. I not not the lead actor, but the two co-leads. They come. They're looking for a place to hide, and so they come and they lift up the, defensor, And I jump up and start a fight, screaming at them. And I start a fight with the guy. Um, God, I can't believe I'm blanking his name. But I know I you're talking this, about.
0: I know you're talking about. They're the
1: the uh, the. Her name the is couple. like Kiki or or or. Yeah, they're the couple in the movie. Um, yeah. But we have this great uh fight scene, and and then he kills me, and you know it's like. It was my big moment in the movie. But when I went to the screening, I knew... Now if you get cut out of something, SAG requires them to send you notice ahead of time. Like, you're not in it or whatever. So I knew I was still in the movie, but I didn't know... So all you see of my death scene now is, like, literally, I'm dead laying in the Dipsy dumpster. It's just like this quick... And I was like, where's my fight scene? Wait, what? So... But, you know, it's okay because that's another one of those franchises that the residuals just roll in. I mean, and when I've been invited to Comic-Cons and stuff, it's it's I always think it's going to be MacGruber or this, but they're like, you were in The Purge. What was it like to work with, you know, Michael Bay and the director and... So it's just always funny. I don't have time to go into the whole thing about well, you didn't get to see my really good scene. <laughs> but, I mean it is literally like I, like like they just flashed me dead, already dead laying in the trash can. Oh. It's like, okay. And I didn't get I didn't get that footage. Sometimes I've been able to get footage for my reels, you know. Oh, okay. If I'm if I'm cut out, but that one didn't happen.
0: Not for that one. And those movies, you know, it's funny. I love those type of movies, but I don't know why I had this like idea that those were like, like Gore horror movies. And then I watched that one the other night. I'm like, holy shit. Frank Grillo, who I love him anyway. And like so many different right. movies, his character is awesome. Like so dark. Like I can dark. watch a million movies with him and it's rumored that they're doing another one. Well, I'm sure they're doing another one, but he's coming back which is pretty and cool. And is the series still going? The Purge uh, series? I don't know. I think I saw in there, the last year was 2020, but you never know. Like, it could come back. COVID like, affected COVID. everything. Yeah. yeah. I,
1: I, did, I went in for the series a couple of times. I know they did one season, for sure.
0: Yeah, but, I saw um, that.
1: Yeah, Jonathan. Jonathan's the director, right? Jonathan Demonico.
0: Oh, I don't uh, know. God, I'm
1: happy. But anyway, I know he just, I just saw in the trades, he signed on a big... A big film the other day so um i think he's staying in the blumhouse jason blum world smartly smartly smart
0: now yeah it's crazy when you think about like how big the movies that they're going to be doing over the next like five years it's unbelievable
1: yeah well if you la right now there's parts of la that i feel like we're in the purge i mean i mean it's just been i live in palm springs and la but when i'm in la now i mean with the the smash and grabs and people just Ugh. getting like jumping out of cars with guns. We've got um, in, on Melrose Avenue, there's cops on horseback, which is kind of cool, actually. But we have cops on horseback, you know, patrolling the neighborhoods. And I, I don't know, it parts of during COVID, it felt like it could be the purge, you know, with the Ugh. shutdown, ta- when the towns were shut down and sundown comes and you just think, oh, I got mugged. I got mugged in Palm Springs in my neighborhood July of 2020 by – it was a gang initiation. These two gang members, it was their first – they had to rob somebody. Oh shit. (laughs) In Palm Springs where everything's supposed to be safe and pulled a gun on me. Both had guns. Busted me in the face with the gun. Stole my uh, iPhone. Knocked my front tooth almost out. And that was – here in palm springs oh, i'm like don't shoot. you know don't you know i'm hollywood's bad guy <laughs> hollywood's <laughs> you bad think guy. you are yeah <laughs> no I'm, I, people say i'm danny treo dude i'm not tell, I, I can't tell you how many times i finally just go with it now i just act <laughs> like i'm him they'll be like machete i'm like hey how you doing man just we look nothing alike <laughs> but I think it's the ponytail. You know, he's also smaller than I am. A lot of people don't know. I'm only five seven, eight. Danny's like five, four. I mean, he's a little dude.
0: You yeah, know? he's just solid in the way they can make him look. But his uh-huh. story's cool. If you ever heard any interviews with him, it's crazy oh, God, the fact it. that he just like went on a set to check on his guy that he was like I don't know if he was like a official like probation officer or something but he was like helping guys that were in prison and then i i swear i think it was for runaway train with eric roberts yeah because yeah. Th- it was that movie
1: i think so where he okay. just, they kind of like made him a consultant on the spot of like some prison scenes you know the, he just kind of got known as this real life ex-con who can tell you how to make prison life look real on, and then they thought well wait why don't you then they made it, they gave him a line or two and they put him in a film. And then
0: and they asked him if he could, and then they saw that he could box, but he, he fights Eric Roberts in the one scene. And then, uh, I yeah. interviewed Eric. So I was like, it's so funny in one movie it's, he's fighting Danny Trejo and then one of the orderlies that is like, uh, one of the guards that's just before they break out, it's tiny Lister, like an early, like tiny
1: Listerol. Lister Tiny who left us too soon. Yeah. yeah. Tiny died. I, what? Two years ago. It was uh, December
0: of 2020. I interviewed him while he was shopping at a target.
1: Oh, wow. I was like, Time dude, was
0: whatever you want to do. I, he was like, is it okay? I got to go buy a shirt for this uh, autograph thing. And I'm like, dude, you do whatever you want. I'm asking him questions. And then he's like, guy, Doug, I'm sorry. I gotta take a selfie real quick. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> whatever, dude.
1: And he's like, you know, you see people, shoppers going by and Yeah. He, he was a character he he was a cool
0: guy yeah. yeah so jasper i always like to ask people this and i'll make sure like i do like a preamble and a post of like all the all this so i'll plug like anything you have. oh this out. isn't
1: live i'm kidding <laughs> no kidding.
0: Way. i gotta make myself look i sound good so like uh family <laughs> business i'll plug all that stuff but oh, i was yeah. like asking people like along the way was there any mementos like i think you said it best before and i and i love when I talk to people and they say something that I'll like remember forever. I always remember all the conversations, but I love the fact that you're like, you don't know when your break is, or like, if this is it, because it could be the big one could be down the road. But I always think of like that story when they say the last time you were going to play like neighborhood baseball or uh, manhunt when you're a kid, you don't know when that last time is when you were on set. Did you ever like grab any mementos or like keepsakes or scripts? Do you keep any of that stuff? Well, it's it's so funny you said that. I literally start, I don't know
1: when I started it, but let's just say the last 20 years, I have like a, a big envelope of every job I do. So it's the script, it's the call sheets. It might be, a, 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 I don't know, a piece of paper. I mean, there's mementos from every TV film, I do, but then what happens is suddenly you realize these are in these old Manila envelopes that are in your garage and boxes (laughs) that nobody's going to care about when you die or whatever. But I do have like every script, pretty much starting. I think, I think uh, like fifteen years when I started the bad guy stuff for sure. Yeah, Um, I think maybe CSI is the first time I did it, but but I do. I, I keep, I keep, I have like the call sheets and uh, any photos. I mean, now all our photos are on the phone or whatever, but I'm trying to think um, What I always try to take wardrobe, you know, I always take clothes if I can, I don't steal them. I ask, but like from a family business, I, I have my biker stuff that I'll be using again. And, you know, like um, bandanas or, or, or sometimes like boots, I'm a big guy with the boots okay I, as a as an actor, I most I first think about what kind of shoes is the character gonna wear because shoes really affect if you think about yourself in real life, whatever shoes you're wearing affects how you walk, how you carry yourself, what attitude you have. um so I'm big on the boots, and most of the time they try to make me taller, so they want to put me in yeah boots and sometimes they put lifts in the boots. And they put me on an Apple box (laughs) and they put me (laughs) up and And I stand on a ladder. (laughs) They just shoot me like right here.
0: (laughs) But no, I think that's cool. You said that that's like improv one-on-one. You mentioned improv before I took improv classes when we lived in Portland, Oregon, like four or five years ago. And that's what it is. Like you, you, when you were going into making a character, it'd be like, okay, pick something your character does when they walk or like, think of what they're Mm -hmm. wearing or if they have a limp, like he, like yeah. it's like, even if they didn't it, want to limp. yeah, even if they didn't want to live, and that changes your idea about the character. Because, would a guy with a limp be happy? How would he be? And then it was so cool creating that character in that you know 15 seconds before, you know, while you're thinking about what you're gonna say. I always call it,
1: I work from the outside in, a lot of actors go internally. I think of like, what am I gonna wear? What do I look like? What are the shoes? And then let and just sort of rely on the on the material to, you know, I think really good acting is just listening and reacting. Once you're already cast as the character, you know, you 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 already a camera doesn't lie. So whatever you bring on the camera is what you're going to bring pretty much all the time. If you look at all your favorite actors, Julia Roberts. Julia will have signature ticks and things that she does. Jennifer Aniston, every character she's playing, there, there'll be a thing that she's doing subconsciously. If it's, if it's something with the hair, Julia Roberts always gets this one vein in her forehead when she's either upset or crying or laughing. I mean, there's just certain things you can't. Yeah. I do this thing with my, I do this like, I do this thing my mouth, where I, or the eyes, you know. The I call it eyebrow acting, where you raise one eye. So yeah. So anyway, shoes are big. I take a lot of shoes. That's awesome from sets. And Sam Elliot, Sam Elliot, who I got to work with, he gave me the greatest advice. Um, I was working on this pilot for CBS, and all the executives were there, and. They were all buzzing around. They all had notes for people, and I'm just and he was and he's like, "Hey Jasper," he goes, "Look at all these assholes." He goes, "Uh, they won't be here a week from now anyway." He goes, "Just remember, this is not brain surgery. Be nice to everyone and don't be an asshole." And that was like 1998, and <laughs> I never forgot it. So that's that's the greatest thing ever said. And I I almost got apart recently on his on the new Taylor Sheridan uh, Yellowstone Oh the, the, the series. and I didn't I yeah, I didn't know Sam Elliott was already on it but I was like shit cuz I haven't seen him since 1998 but that's the kind of cool thing like it would be so cool if if I had gotten cast and showed up at the table read or you know what I mean or showed up on set and there was there was Sam cuz that does happen that happens with like a crew people a lot or hair and makeup or whatever you'll go onto a set and you're like Oh my God, I work, where did we work together? And it'd be like 12 years ago on that commercial or do, you know, it's
0: a real fun kind of reconnection. And I think the perfect full circle moment. And before we started this, I was thinking Jasper. I've never met a Jasper. The only Jasper I know is where the double deuce is in roadhouse. And you just mentioned Sam Elliott. <laughs> Greatest guy ever.
1: I mean, he and Jeff Bridges are my two favorite. Like they're totally. I mean, they couldn't be any more different, right? Yeah. But like, I want the, I want this gray, silver, long hair. You know, like Sam cuts his hair, but you know what I mean. But I just think, uh, look at look at both of their careers. You know, I mean, Sam is still in the game. He's does it all: voiceovers, TV, whatever. You know, he just keeps. Like most of the character actors, like we talk about. Harry Dean Stanton was another one of my favorite character actors, where I was like, yeah. So, do you remember Gunsmoke? Yeah. Do you remember Festus on Gunsmoke?
0: Uh, I wouldn't know the names. I remember watching the show, but yeah. He was the dirty, grungy character actor. Recently, (laughs) some guy said to me, you remind me of Festus
1: on Gunsmoke. I was like, God damn. (laughs) really? You know, but then I thought, wait a minute, that was a really cool, fun character. You know, that that's basically the characters I'm playing now. So you have to let all vanity go and just be like, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. 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 I love, listen, I love shows like yours because I can, I see your genuine, like, love of what you do and like, you love the whole pop culture and the industry and you know and i I'm like I've got this handful of like useless pop culture t v seventies eighties nostalgia kind of shit that no most people don't care about, so I appreciate oh, I love that stuff, k- kids like you, you uh, know, i'm i'm fifty I'm only twenty years old I mean I'll be fifty eight in a few weeks, but um
0: no, my dad always prided i think I think it was like my dad always wanted me to show to show me like what he enjoyed. So Sometimes. like when I was a young kid, I was watching death wish at way too young of an age. And like, <laughs> you know, the great escape escape from Alcatraz and like so many of these movies, planet of the apes. And like so many of these movies that I appreciate it. And right. just those are the VHS tape. My dad was a garbage man in Jersey. So like he would find VHS tapes of like, and it was like a lot of sequels. So like, I love all movies, but I think it was like cool uh, niche to do. And I appreciate you saying that because I do appreciate the process is I think one of the first interviews I did was Kevin Kilner. He was on the, he was uh, on the board of SAG. Like, I don't know how long he was on it, but when I talked to him, he was one of the board members and he told me the percentage of people that live off of acting. And I was like, not even the percentage, it was like the number, the real number. I was like, holy shit.
1: Oh, it's it's really and let me tell you, uh, the, the middle class actors – So just like the, not I don't want to get, but the, just like the rest of the world, where it's the, it's the have and the have nots. Yeah, that's we're that's where we are now with the industry. It's the big big stars, and then it's the rest of us who it's pretty much take it or leave it. Jasper, here's what the price is. You know, there was a time in the nineties and two thousands where I would have a quote and a, a weekly quote and a thing, and now I always tell people. Well, if I don't take it, Willie Ames and Scott Baio are signing in right behind. You know what I mean? I'm just yeah. Jason Harvey is in the car waiting. I mean, it's just the days of like being able to negotiate. I'm trying to think of other people. I love you those know what two names. I mean. The two names I would that have you said Ralph, Ralph Macchio, but he's already back big with the Cobra I know ties, he is. So. Yeah, but I'm just saying so. I tell people my age either do it or get out of the business because yeah. this is how it is, you know, take it or leave it. it and if the day that I'm not enjoying myself, I will quit. Cause I, nobody wants to be that bitter jaded old guy on the set. Going, oh well, you know, back in the day. And it, trust me, I, it's there. I, some, some group auditions, you know, I hear the guys complaining about, Hey Jasper, remember when I'm like, no, no, I don't, I, I don't want to hear it. I always say, remember, guys, this kid over here, this is for him, this is all, this is the business right now. He doesn't know any different. And 20 years from now, he will have a different experience of when he started. So shut the fuck up. Yeah. And just be happy you're here. Just be grateful that you're still working.
0: Oh yeah. Jasper, this I is an awesome. I usually try to keep you an hour, but that was such a great chat. I just like, Oh, a, listen,
1: I can, I can talk forever. Sorry. Yeah.
0: No, don't worry about it, dude. No, great I to it. meet you. So there's so many things I could talk about right now when it comes to this interview and no joke. The one that I noticed that Jasper hurt his leg in Hansel and Gretel is kind of wild to me. Because he's like, I can't believe you noticed that. Like, me and my wife were watching, and I showed her, and I'm like, oh my God, he looks really hurt. Like, who would write a character's trait? Maybe for some significance, maybe a war movie or something, or maybe some killer would have like a hitch like that. But the fact that he had to keep his leg straight after he busted it, like right in that scene, is pretty wild. But yeah, I love talking to him because uh, he enjoyed it. I think I might have cut it off at the end of the audio, but he was talking about other interviews that he did and he loved the, the conversation uh, that we had talking about auditions and me sharing some stories that I've heard like Danny DeVito talk about his interview for, for taxi his audition and then him telling the story uh, about everybody loves Raymond and the tonight show and just so much more. He was great. Uh, so yeah. So you know what to do your homework, so watch the purge anarchy totally worth it i thought these movies were total gore fest because they're like i don't know they have this ilk about them like almost like this not the saw movies but i don't know people like would talk about them this way like i thought they were really gory which they do have some gory kills but man what a awesome action movie and frank grillo crushes it the whole cast is really good honestly Seriously, no joke. Uh, yeah, so that's your homework. And don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast. Follow us on all social media at Sequels Only. And don't forget to check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night. Good night, guys.